I really believe we're all interconnected and to be able to connect with someone is to communicate. Often I think what happens when people stop communicating because they are afraid that it's going to escalate and if it escalates that it's going to be a full-blown conflict and so they stop communicating but that's the worst thing you can do because if you stop communicating your relationship breaks down. I always talk about courage and having the courage to speak up in a respectful way. So often what I see is either people stop communicating, but things keep festering and people get upset, or people communicate in a way being aggressive or they're passive aggressive. And so it's all about being able to get your message across and to also listen to the other person. So communication is basically the, the key to everything. Welcome to episode 135 of Be The Drop, a weekly interview podcast sharing stories from people who inspire and motivate others to help teach you how to tell your story. I'm Amelia Veal, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. The United Nations was established to maintain international peace and security, and the UN representatives face danger and conflict on a daily basis. When the welfare of others is part of your job description, the most important foundation for your duties is communication. Tilan Legiers is a communication specialist and business consultant with years of experience working in post-war zones for the UN. As a specialist in international war crimes, Tilan has seen some of the worst breakdowns in communication and the consequences of conflict. In today's episode of Be The Drop, Talan recounts her journey in the UN, followed by her transition from public to private work. Talan's insights into the business world are deeply connected to human nature. She shares how this has shaped her approach for dealing with communication breakdown and how to build successful teams. This is Talan's version of Be The Drop. Are you considering starting a podcast? At Narrative Marketing, we deliver a full range of podcast production options. Or if you'd like help getting started to produce your own content, I also deliver podcast training programs. Hit the link in the show notes for more. Tilan, thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to hearing some of your stories and you've got your item of significance, which is going to get us started. And I'm intrigued. So please do explain what it is and how it connects you with your audience and your community and what you're doing. Okay. So what I brought with me is my old UN passport, which is actually something that um, once you work for the UN, you're pretty proud of because it's a passport that gives you diplomatic immunity, but also you wherever you travel, you don't really need a visa. So it's something that I recently found it again. And I thought, hey, it's actually still something that I like. So I didn't throw it away. And I kept it. So how is it that you have a United Nations passport? I worked for the United Nations for about 12 years. So when I started my first job in Cambodia, I received a laissez-passer. And it was something that was always a dream for me when I was studying law to once in my life work for the UN. So I guess that's why it's also extra emotional. It's a dream achieved. And so from that journey, what led you to where you are now? 
from that journey, I think what stayed with me most was the fact that I was working on human rights and war crimes. And I had done so before as a barrister and a lawyer, but there it was that I really saw what was happening and I really saw I stood in front of mass graves, both in Cambodia and in Bosnia. And it started my personal journey in like, well, the thought that peace starts with ourselves. And so for me, standing in front of mass graves, I realized, well, the world would be a better place if we all could communicate better and resolve conflict in a more efficient way. And also if we could find within us what is our potential and what is our drive and, and, and use ourselves as a source of good or force of good. So during your time with the UN, was there any really, you know, very heightened, potentially dangerous examples of conflict that you experienced? I have a story sometimes used about being in the jungle in, in, uh, in Cambodia. When I um, was working in Cambodia, we were actually living in the area that was still very much in control by the Khmer Rouge at the time. And so that was really interesting. It's the closest to really work, uh, living in a, in a kind of a war zone. It wasn't a war zone, but it was occupied by the Khmer Rouge. And as being in charge of human rights, it was my role to support the local human rights organizations. And one particular time, and this, this also was, I think I was about six months pregnant at the time, and um, we, we got a call that somebody was illegally detained somewhere in the middle of the jungle, and they wanted me to go there. And always, for me, it was about empowering local people, but also knowing that a, a white face, to say that way, being part of the UN would really make a difference. So it's that fine line again. I don't want to disempower them, but I know I need to be there. And so it was maybe two-hour drive, and we got here in the middle of nowhere. And there was this military camp, and still very much controlled by Khmer Rouge or the old rebel leaders. And I know they must have thought I was an alien, you know, like I came out there um, with my big belly and my extremely white face together with some of my Cambodian colleagues. And they were like, what on earth is going on here? And so it took a long time to negotiate with the, the commander and to first of all, to admit for him to admit that they had detained someone. And what we had heard is that they had detained a person in a water tank, and so an empty water tank. So can you imagine in Cambodia, really hot in an empty water tank, it doesn't take long for somebody just to completely dehydrate and die. So, so that was really interesting for me. That was a really interesting experience. And in the end, we convinced him to release the man, not fully release him, but to bring him to Batambang, where we were stationed, and put him in the in the the normal prison. So that was a very interesting concept because I couldn't just come in and say, that's it, we're gonna do this way. It was like hours and hours negotiating with with our Cambodian colleagues and getting him to, to do what we wanted, but to see it as if he was doing himself a favour and not so much us. Mm, so that is extreme negotiation skills then. In a way, yes. Uh, it certainly takes the context to a whole new level than, you know, corporate negotiations yes. here in Adelaide. So that is obviously a, a completely different sort of 
scenario, but how do you apply those skills, those negotiation skills, when you're working with corporate teams here in Adelaide? The technique is the same. I think a lot of people make the mistake when they negotiate is that they start with themselves. And the trick is not to start with yourself, but the trick is to connect with the other person and to make the other person believe that you're also there to listen to his or her needs. And if people start thinking that you're actually listening to them and if you create you create space for them to listen to you it's so much more powerful to constrain yourself and to say hey what is it you guys need and start with that and then we've slowly but surely into what you need and to try and come to a a win-win situation for everyone. So then what brought you to Australia? So you've spent 12 years with the UN. Yeah. What was the next step? Yeah. So basically it's a bit of a personal touch uh, because I was working for the UN and I was living my dream and I was together with my then partner and now husband. We had two children. Um, One of us was with us in Cambodia and in Bosnia, and the second one was born in The Hague. And she actually became very ill, so she had um, leukemia, and she survived, and she's doing great now. But it was a moment in my life to think, okay, so it all sounds great, working for the UN, and it's great for me, but it's not that great for my family, and do I want to expose my children to working in areas where it's always difficult because human rights violations are often in difficult areas. So it was a kind of a reflection. Okay, what what are we going to do now? And Australia, we'd been here a few times and we thought, oh, well, let's try to go to Australia, which was easier said than done. And it took a while, but in the end, we got a visa and could only get a visa for Adelaide. So we went to Adelaide. And how long have you been in Adelaide now? It's really frightening, almost 10 years now. So, And I have an Aussie passport, so I'm full-blown Australian now. Yes, so you've gone from UN nationals status to Australian, and now you're working in communication. So you've taken those learnings that from your time working with the UN and applying them now in Adelaide, which I can imagine is this, quite a different environment. Yeah. How are you crossing over those skills and how are you delivering them today? Yeah, so basically what happens is I ended up, I had to kind of reinvent myself when I came here and I ended up as an HR manager. And as an HR manager, I saw that there was so much miscommunication and so much misery, if I can say, in the workplace that I really felt that I wanted to do something about it. And my dream was to come to Australia and start my own business. And mediation had been something that I have always done, communication. Basically, I think when you work in other countries and when you work on difficult topics, you learn how to influence people, how to get along with people, how to cross bridges. So now I work with a lot of teams, sometimes with individuals or organizations that are not communicating well and that are in conflict. And I've also started an online global business for courses for leaders, because I think the leadership is often um, a big issue. And if leaders Um, are doing it well, often the teams are doing well. But if the leaders are stuck 
And I can't blame them for them because they often get leadership positions without any support or any guidance. Um, things can go wrong very quickly. So, you know, you mentioned communication being a big barrier and one of the reasons that le- leads to workplace issues. Is there a consistent way that you are recommending people to improve their communication? How do you go about helping them open the lines of communication? First of all, I really believe we're all interconnected and to be able to connect with someone is to communicate. Even if you wouldn't be able to speak the same language, you can still communicate with signs or with in some way. So communication is basically the, the key to everything. Often I think what happens when people stop communicating because they are afraid that it's going to escalate and if it escalates that it's going to be a full-blown conflict or there's going to be it's going to be icky and so they stop communicating but that's the worst thing you can do because if you stop communicating your relationship breaks down and no issues are discussed nothing is discussed is that based in fear or you know what are these is there a common sort of commonality yeah. that you come across i think so i think so that i think we are wired to be afraid as humans and i always say fear stands for false evidence appearing real so it's something that we often feel afraid but if you really go and entangle it and analyze it what are we afraid of it's not really something um, real, but it's something in our mind. So that's often, I always talk about courage and having the courage to speak up in a respectful way. So often what happens, what I see is either people stop communicating, but things keep festering and people get upset, or people communicate in a way that's not very useful. So they're either being aggressive or they're passive aggressive, or they just explode. And so it's all about being able to get your message across and to also listen to the other person. But to stop communicating is the worst you can do, but it's something people do because they are so afraid. And you mentioned that leadership, you know, if you can get the right leadership, that can make a huge impact on on the performance of that team. So what, in your opinion, are some of the best traits of a really strong leader? I really believe that it needs to be a balance between we want our leaders to be strong. So we want our leaders to know what they're talking about and to know that they have our backs, but we also want our leaders to be warm. It's a combination of being strong and being warm, because if you have all the skills, but you're not able to connect with your people as a leader, people won't follow you. And if you're very strong, they'll undermine you in any way, shape or form, I always say. So either gossiping behind your back or filing official complaints. And if you are a, a warm leader, but you don't have that strength, then people walk all over you. And actually the same happens because they'll talk behind your back as well. And they will, will your authority is weakened and we don't like weak leaders in the end. So it's, it's that, that fine balance between being warm connect with people, but also being strong. Mm, It is incredible. And I certainly do believe in the power when you can get a united team. But you've obviously seen the disastrous results that can come from conflict. So how do you take that learning from working in places like Bosnia and Cambodia, which is very confronting version and violent versions, you're standing over graves, to an office place and you know how do you translate that good question (laughs) so I guess 
where I'm coming from is that actually being able to acknowledge that conflict is a given, that there will always be conflict and that we come from very diverse backgrounds and that we have differences of opinion, but that we can still function together and work together if we communicate that I hope I'm not sounding too vague or too hippie-ish now, but um, that that is a way to move forward. Because I think what you see in, in, in world conflict as well is that people stop communicating, start othering each other. So treating the other person as less humane than you are. And um, I've seen that in wars and I often say that during training, like if you look at, for instance, the Second World war where the Jewish people were called Untermenschen, if you start to make that uh, difference and in the Rwanda war people were called cockroaches and so then that is how things escalate and um, in the workplace that's often the same if you say oh those idiots at IT or those people over there they don't know it so it's about trying to bring people together and um, acknowledge and respect that people are different and coming from different areas. So for you then, you've gone on a personal journey of building your own business, starting from scratch in a new country. Tell us a bit about that journey. I really felt that I needed to do something because I was withering away otherwise. And I, I didn't know anything about business. And I think now that I'm six years into it, I think I actually came from a family where businesses were not really appreciated. It was a bit like capitalistic. And so, but I did work in a commercial law firm, so I had some taste of it. So it was incredibly frightening. I was so afraid to start my own business um, because all my safety was gone and I was out of my comfort zone and I've always been um, the person, the breadwinner of our family. So it was very scary, but it's been a, an amazing journey. I think it's been uh, the best journey actually I've, I've, I've been on. And actually I am someone who values freedom and um, this is for me the ultimate freedom that I can work for myself. Oh, I love that. You know, you're talking about you were so afraid, yet also obviously so excited and willing to challenge yourself. So how do you, you know, how personally did you do that, even though you were so afraid and that could be an obvious barrier and blocker you know how did you turn that around so that it becomes an exciting new challenge the rule of thumb is always if I'm not going to do it is there a good chance that I'll regret it in five years and so that was also coming to Australia we had no idea what we were getting into but we thought okay we're going to try it because I know if I'm 60 and I'm looking back and I'm still doing the same old same old or something similar then I said well I actually had a chance to go to Adelaide but our Australia but I didn't do it and that was the same for business I think one of my biggest fears was also that I wouldn't get a job again and friends helped also said come on Tilan that is just not not realistic and so I got over it but I I really thought okay if I fail I fail at least I've tried it but having to live with the thought that I didn't have the guts to do it and it could have been something great 
that that pushes me over the edge every time. Good. And so for you, what was the biggest business challenge that you had to address? I think the biggest business challenge is maybe also that you don't know what you don't know. So it's about being able to just accept that you don't know everything and that that's okay and that you actually want to be surrounded by people who know more than you and that you can learn from them and that's okay. Starting a business was just starting from scratch again, so I wasn't always smart. And also the biggest lessons were that I have done things wrong and I've made wrong decisions and they were painful, as in more financially painful and painful to admit it, but just to be able to say, okay, I did that, didn't work, and I'm going to take that financial loss. I'm going to give myself a kick up the bum and I'm just going to go further. And what has been the the greatest tool that you've utilised to build your business? I think ultimately for me it's always been about connections because that is one of, of my big values and I really try to practice what I preach So I have never had a marketing campaign. It's always been word of mouth. And I really believe that if I do something and I give everything I've got and it's uh, the best I can do, then people will see that and people appreciate that. So I've just been incredibly lucky for people to refer me to other people, for clients to come back again. And I think, again, it has to do with building trust and, and um, accepting people and not judging people. That's, that's a big thing for me. So I've been really, really lucky. And also, of course, I have also had a business coach, which I shouldn't forget. And now I'm part of a business women's network. So it's, it, that's important as well. Well, and, but you say you were lucky. I, I'm not sure that it's necessarily just about luck. as more hard, determined effort and work. <laughs> Yes, it is, because it is not easy to sit in a library and saying, okay, now I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to send emails out, I'm going to contact people and being knocked back. And yes, sometimes there there have been days in the beginning that I thought, oh my God, did I, did I do the right thing? But you need just need to keep going but it can be a bit lonely as well and because nobody really has that vision unless you start a business with lots of other people but if you are on your own like me and I if I have a vision I need to kind of have those meetings with myself (laughs) because no one else really understands my vision yes Mm, so a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde moment there yeah exactly yeah no absolutely so is that where the the networking group and and the business mentor have have really helped because it's given you a business support without you know obviously having other staff in your business I think in hindsight not knowing what I didn't know I started my business almost like a hobby and then it just it, it really took off and I was completely overwhelmed and I really felt like I don't know I don't know where to start anymore I've got all these clients I've got all this coming uh, and so that's when I decided I need help and that's when I got the business coach and working with a business coach was great till a certain level and then I felt like hey I now need to network with women like me and so so that has helped as well yes the other thing that strikes me as you're telling me your stories is you know you had your one at least one of your children when you were overseas living in difficult areas and now you know you've got children as you're starting up your business what has that juggle been like for you you know as a mum and working and then starting your own business yes so actually uh 
full confession, my children are now 20 and 17. So I started six years ago. So what were they? Um, 11 and 14. It's actually been the best thing ever because I have always had full-time jobs and I've always worked very hard with with the exception when my daughter was ill, I worked a little bit part-time, but not a lot because it's difficult with the UN. So I, I had freedom, which again is really important for me. So when my children were um, that age, I really believe that when teenagers are going through their teenage year, they actually need much more coaching from the parents than when they're younger. So it was really nice. I could say, okay, let's go for coffee. Let's go for a walk. And so it wasn't really a, a struggle at all. It was actually made things easier. And also, I must say, I have a, a, a wonderful partner who's always done all the work for me. So I don't, you don't hear me complain working full time but it really gave me time to be there for my girls and also I think they tell me I've set an example for them to to follow your dream and to crush through that fear you have and those self-limiting beliefs and so it's been been wonderful that is great I mean, you know what what more could you ask but to be told by your children that you're a great role model you know, that's that's really it, isn't yes, it? Yes, <laughs> that's really that's really wonderful. And and again, I'm, I'm I I have my flaws as well. I mean, it's uh... well, we're all human. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so be the drop is based on a saying that I really love, which is a waterfall begins with one drop, and it's really about our collective um, team effort that we can create great things, which has obviously resonated with what you've said today. But is there a saying for you or any sort of mantra along those lines that really resonates with you? Yeah, so I, I love saying, so I, I have a lot, I always put them on my Facebook page as well. But one that, that I often use in communication is the one by Winston Churchill, which says, courage is what it takes to stand up and speak, and courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. And I really like that quote, and it really sums up communication and conflict resolution in general and, and leadership. And so, yeah, have that courage, do the thing that is difficult and don't come up with all those excuses that we all can come up with. Oh, it's not going to work or it's too, it's not my place to speak up or all those things. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Talan, for sharing your stories with us today. In conclusion, can you share with us your Be The Drop tip, which is your top tip for communicating with influence? We as humans tend to make it about ourselves. So the really the best tip is to make it about the other person first. And so if the other person feels understood, like Stephen Covey said at the time, seek to understand before being understood that gives you so much leeway and people are actually really willing to listen to you then and and acknowledge your needs as well. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. 
Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that.